Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. And we ask, Lord Jesus, right now, Lord, that you would minister to us through your word. That it would speak to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because in your word we can endure, we can hold on to it, Lord. We can learn what it means to be patient, to suffer long. We ask that each and every one of us, individuals and, and families, uh, from the eldest to the youngest, God, that we would be building on the rock. That maybe this time you've given us so that we can build, that we would build on the rock, on the firm foundation, on your word, that we would listen and obey. And we pray this all, Lord, that you would also speak to us through the, the rest of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. In Jesus' name and from wherever you are, I invite you to say a very strong and loud Amen. We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 16. And when finishing this chapter now, this is our third installment in the book of, or in the chapter 11 now, as we've taken our time knowing and starting to see that Paul is saying his farewell, his goodbye to the church of Corinth here. And in, throughout the beginning portion of chapter 11, we see that Paul has a concern for faithfulness for the church, understanding and him knowing now that the church is going to undergo trials and tribulations and testing when it comes to the holiness of the church. They're going to undergo several things and he specifically warns them to be protected now of their purity of the word of God, uh, following the message that he taught him. But now from chapter 16 on to verse 33, from verse 16 to verse 33 of this very chapter, he's going to tell us the cost of compassion. And if you write notes, I want you to title today's message. That is the message that God has given us today, the cost of compassion. Because we're going to see the heart of Paul, a man of passion, a man of strong convictions, demonstrate compassion in a way in where he's suffering for others. He's, he's being patient through the trials for others as he's showing and he's demonstrating his heart for people and he's doing it because he loves them. And he teaches us here in this end now verses that compassion cost us. Compassion will cost you. There is a cost to compassion. It's been said this. Empathy is the ability to understand and to share the feelings of others. Empathy. The ability to understand and to share the feelings of others. But compassion is the willingness to carry the burdens with them. Do you see the difference there between empathy and compassion? That empathy maybe understands the feeling of others, maybe shares the feelings of others, but it's not until you have compassion that you're willing to carry the burden of others. In fact, the word compassion means this, to suffer together. Would you take note of that today? To suffer together. And Paul here is going to demonstrate to, through his heart of compassion, just like Christ, that he was authentic, that he was a real apostle of the Lord, that he wasn't a fake apostle, that he didn't come with an ulterior motive. He was not a man that was a stranger to suffering. 
He was not motivated by success. He wasn't motivated by recognition or by appearance, by attention, by wealth, or by a following. Back then, the apostles were motivated by these things. And even today, you see that even in Christian leadership, people want to be now motivated by influence, by following, by popularity. And Paul is saying, I don't care about any of those things. I don't care about the success, the money, the wealth. I do not care about any of those things. I am motivated by the truth of God's Word and by love. Therefore, I'm going through the trial now, holding on to the truth of the Word of God and of the love that I have for the Lord and for people. And this is how he separates himself from other people. It is the truth that separates them, and it is the love that separates them. And today, truth and love are going to separate you from the world, and truth will be exposed now, will surface and also expose darkness. It was because of love that Paul was able to suffer long. He was able to endure all things, bear all things, believe all things, because he loved them. These were the marks of a true disciple. You want to know what the marks of a true disciple are? It's humility, love, and suffering. <laughs> Because that's what you see in the life of Jesus. Humility, love, and suffering. The marks of a real follower of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to serve Jesus. And if these hardships now were a part of serving Jesus, he would accept them. There are times where we say, well, I want to serve the Lord. But if hardships are attached to serving the Lord, or if they're a part of the package of me serving the Lord, then I don't want to serve the Lord anymore. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, if, if this is what comes with me serving the Lord, if this is a part of the discipleship, the leadership package, this suffering, then I accept it because I am enlisted to serve the Lord. It was Charles Spurgeon that said this, The Lord gets His best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. The Lord gets His best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Isn't it awesome how when the Lord is going to use a person, He will allow them to undergo some affliction? Because that's when our heart starts to trust in the Lord. In fact, Thomas Watson said this, Affliction is a badge of adoption. <laughs> when the Lord has adopted us as His children, His sons and daughters, we undergo this affliction now that tests our faith and that demonstrates our dependency upon the Lord. That's why in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul, this very same guy that wrote 2 Corinthians, said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he believed that. He didn't just say that. Because he understood that everything that he was going through, he was going and he was enduring it for the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this epistle, verse 9, he told us, yes, we have this sentence of death in ourselves. We, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. He was speaking to the church and saying, we are headed to death with the suffering and with the persecution that we're facing. However, we are going through this, not that we should trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see, the Lord allows us to go through these sentences, or through these seasons now of afflictions, not so that we trust in ourselves, so that we trust in God who raises the dead. Uh, we can be sure that during this season, we've been trusting the Lord more. We've been forced to trust the Lord more. We've been put in a position of growth and of trusting the Lord more than we ever have before. Because it's in the season of affliction that we hold on to our trust for God. And that's exactly what Paul is telling them here. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he also says this, For our light affliction is but for a moment, and is working for us far more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Through suffering, he had a vision for the invisible. He had a vision for heaven. He had a vision for knowing God has a plan for me even in this season. And although he was being rejected, although he was being denied, he, he, he knew that he wasn't going to come to the Corinthians with the wisdom and with the power of the world, but with the wisdom and the power of God. And that's exactly why they rejected him. Because he did not look. He, he did not sound. <laughs> he did not come. In the wisdom of the world, in the power of the world, he came in the wisdom and in the power of God. And he demonstrated through his weaknesses that it was not Paul. The message was not Paul. That was not the message. The message was Jesus. And these other apostles, they would come with the message of their own, their own selves. Their own message. Promoting themselves. It was a self-promoting message. The only promotion that Paul utilized was to create a promotion for Jesus Christ, a true representation of the Holy Spirit working in this man to point people to Jesus. That was the only promotion that he was a part of when he was promoting Jesus. He didn't want self-promotion. He wasn't a person that wanted to talk about themselves. And you saw through these false apostles that they loved to speak about themselves. They love to speak about themselves. Paul didn't want to speak about himself. And look at, listen, listen, as we go to now this 16th verse of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, because he's forced now to speak about himself, to give them light now that he was indeed a real apostle. He wasn't a poser, he wasn't a fake, he was authentic. He was there for the real reasons and with the real motives. And that's why we have to appreciate him. And we're going to learn that, that here he's going to boast now, which is something that he does not want to do, but he's forced to do. We're going to see now Paul's buffeting, or how he was now suffering. He was afflicted in ministry, and how blessings came out of that buffeting. But also we're going to see Paul's burden. Paul's burden. So let's go to verse 16, and it says this, I say again, let no one think of me a fool. Don't think about me as a fool because of what I'm about to say. I know I've told you not to speak about yourself. I know I've told you not to be self-promoting or self-glorifying. And I, I want to make a really distinction. I want to disclose that I'm about to do this, what I said not to do, but I'm doing this for a very reason. I'm doing this so that I can meet you on a common ground. I can meet you at your ground now and speak to you in a place where you will understand. Because you wasn't a man that wanted to boast about his ministry accomplishments or about his success. He wasn't one that wanted to do that. But he's saying this now, I say again, let no one think of me as a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I may boast a little. In fact, I want you to receive me as I speak this way. This is your language. This is the way you want to speak. Well, I'm going to speak this way even though that's not what I like to do. I'm going to talk about myself a little here in order to prove a point, in order to be transparent now. 
And he's doing this because he wants to demonstrate them to them what a real apostle of the Lord looks like. What a real servant of God looks like. You would say, well, man, I'm not an apostle, but you are a servant of God. <laughs> and as a servant of God, this is what a servant of God looks like now. Now he says in verse 17, as it goes on, What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly here in the confidence of boasting. And what I speak now, he's saying, it's not according to the Lord. What does he mean by that? Some of us can get confused when we read that, that line, that passage, that verse right there. But what he means here, what I'm speaking now, it's not according to the standards of Christ. Because the standards of Christ is humility. The standards of Christ is now being an a, a, a attitude of serving. It's not an attitude of boasting. It's an attitude of humility and it's an attitude of serving. Therefore, what I'm about to say, it's not according to the standard of Christ. That is not the standard. In fact, this is my own confidence. This is the boasting of the flesh. I'm forced to speak this way. I'm meeting you there so that I can allow you to understand for your edification, for your learning, for your spiritual understanding, I'm going to say this. And let's read verse 18. It says, Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. Because many of you like to speak about yourselves. Many of you like to promote one another. Many of you like to come with this hidden agenda or hidden motivation and you don't really love people. You love yourself and you use people to serve yourself. You see, the pastor, the leader, the servant of God is not there to be served by the people. He is there to serve people. A servant is not there one who expects to be served. He is one that is ready to serve at all costs without conditions, without reservations. And that's what he's telling them here, even in verse 18. I, I'm going to tell you this for the edification and for your own learning, not for my self-glorification. And he's going to tell them what, what you should really be proud about. Because the Corinthians were proud about when they saw someone that looked impressive, one that looked influential, one that had the followers, one that, that, that just looked like the, their image was the correct image of what an apostle should be. And we're so in love with image even today, especially in the world that we live in. It's all about image. It's all about the look. It's all about the status now. And he's going to break the barriers of image, status, of self, of success, and say that, that's all fake. In fact, none of that really matters. And therefore, I'm going to speak on that very issue to let you know that you've been idolizing the wrong things. And I want you to boast about what is spiritual. Don't boast about what is carnal. Don't boast about what is fleshy. Don't be, don't be boasting or be proud about the wrong things. Have you ever been proud about the wrong things? I've been valuing the, uh, and, 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 and think about something that is meaningful when it's really not meaningful where he's teaching them here what is really valuable. Sometimes we value things that are really temporal. We value them too much. We idolize them. And Paul is saying, I want to teach you to value the right things. I want to open your eyes now. And I'm going to do this using my history, my life of suffering as an example. When have you ever used your suffering as an example to glorify God? <laughs> You see, Paul is about to use it. In fact, suffering in his life was a tool. Because it, his weakness can demonstrate the power of God through that life. And your weaknesses, your insecurities only demonstrate the power of God working in your life. It is the power of God. 
It is the wisdom of God. It's not your own self-confidence. It is the wisdom and the power of God that uses your life. Verse 19 tells us this. For you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. You think you're so wise, but you're putting up with this behavior already. So give me a little room to speak like this. You think you're so wise and you enjoy putting up with this type of behavior. You enjoy others when they're speaking to you in this manner now. When they're boasting according to man's standard, not according to God's standard, you, you're putting up with this foolish behavior, you're accepting this, and you think you're so wise. <laughs> now notice what he tells them here in verse 20 as he continues to tell them this. He says, for you put up with, not only do you put up with the language, not only do you put up with this boasting now, or this kind of talk, you allow it to come into the church, and, and you actually receive it, you admire it, you are led by it, but you also you put up with it. You put up with it as if one brings you into bondage. If one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face. You're also putting up with a type of behavior that doesn't honor the Lord, but is disrespecting the church, that is dishonoring the church. Because these false apostles, what they were doing is they were coming to abuse the church. And he's saying, you're, not only are you putting up with this language, but in verse 20 it tells us, For you also put up with, if one comes and brings you into bondage. What were these false apostles doing? They were bringing them to the bondage of the law again. Taking them out of the grace and the relationship with the Lord, and putting them in the bondage of law, of religion, of legalism. If someone puts you into bondage, you accept it. You're putting up with that. And you think that's okay because you're admiring these false apostles or they're enslaving them with the rule of authority as if one is ruling over someone with a personal domination of authority and of fear. Somebody comes and treats you in, in fear and authority and dominates your life you, and enslaves you, puts you into bondage and legalism and you accept that? How can you do that? In fact, in verse 20, he also says someone comes and devours you. You put up with that as well. When they take away from you, they steal everything that you have. All that you have, they take away from you. Isn't that how you see now even people on TV that they're asking for money? You see, and, and they want to just rob and take and receive and take. He says, these apostles are taking everything from you and you are putting up with it. They're taking advantage of you, verse 20, and look what it says. And you are okay with it. They're taking control of everything. You are fine with it. You put it up with it. In fact, in verse 20, he even, now he even it takes it to the extreme. And he says, if one strikes you on the face now, you also put up with that. <laughs> if they're coming and slapping you, you put up with that. They're, that is a total now sign of disrespect, of abuse. You see, this is how you know that these men were false apostles. But they, because they were abusing the church. But the church of Corinth was so in love. They were so taken in. They were so impressed by the image of authority and the image of power that they represented, these false apostles, that they allowed anything and they put up with this ill behavior upon the church. And they humbly submitted now to all kinds of treatments that they were not supposed to now undergo. In verse 21, look what else he tells us to our shame. He says, if you think that that's power and you think that we are weak because we don't treat you that way, he's being sarcastic now in verse 21. And he tells him, this is my confession to you. To our shame now, 
I say that we are too weak for that. <laughs> if you think that that's power and we're weak, then okay, I'm weak. I'll accept my weakness because I will never treat you that way. The people of Corinth thought that Paul was a weak man because he did not exercise an authority or a rulership or a power that abused the church in that way or he did not utilize that type of behavior or that type of speech upon them or over them. So he says, if you classify me weak, then yes, I'm weak. I'm way too weak. I'm not strong enough to ever treat you that way. Then yes, we are too weak. I will never exercise a harsh behavior upon the church. Yes, we're too weak. However, notice how he says this, because he's going to shift now in verse 21. But in whatever anyone is bold, or in other terms, he's saying, but in anything else, but in anything else, if you want to boast about anything else, because I can't boast on that, I don't do that. You're putting up with everyone that's speaking, that is doing this to you, so give me a little bit of time to boast as well. He's giving an introduction to what he's about to tell us in the following verses. He's saying, I will never do that, but in anything else, give me some space, some room to boast, to demonstrate to you, to prove what a true follower, what a true minister, what a true disciple looks like. And after he's going to begin this, he's going to talk about how he was buffeted in ministry. What does buffeted mean? It means that you went through some beatings. <laughs> but there are always blessings that come out of buffetings. There's always gold that comes out of the buffetings. I love what Charles Spurgeon tells us when it comes to the fire. He says this, The refiner is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. And you know who his gold is? The church. The refiner, the Lord, is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. He is so close to that furnace. And we're going to see that Paul understood that the Lord was close to that furnace. Therefore, he was able to go through this season. In verse 22, it says, are they Hebrews? He's going to defend himself. Okay, let's talk now. You've put up with all of that. That's not the way I want to boast. I'm going to boast about other things. Let's go ahead and talk about what qualifies all of your false apostles, all of your false teachers now. What are their credentials? What are their qualifications of man? Now, this is not what makes Paul a real apostle, but he's speaking to what they value. He wants to show them if this is a way uh, uh, that they are making an evaluation of a servant of God, then he's saying, all right, I can measure up to that as well. If you think that this is what is needed, then I'm going to let you know that I can also measure up to that and even more. And I love this here because he's going to defend his integrity in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Well, they thought, well, they have to be Jewish. Well, then I am Jewish. <laughs> well, they have to be Hebrews. They have to be from the, the, a certain descent. Well, I am from, I'm a Hebrew as well here. Paul is telling us. Well, they have to be descendants of Abraham. They have to be original descendants of Abraham that go and date back to the Old Testament. Paul is saying, well, I am also a descendant of Abraham. So am I. And he's saying, I, I can relate to all of those things. Stop rejecting the message. You see, the world has a, now, reputation, a, a, a consistency in rejecting a message that doesn't look that it is impressive. We want to be impressed in order for us to receive something. And here he's saying, you know what? I just want to let you know that I am also what they are. But I'm more. 
And notice how he says in verse 22 now, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Now here, I'm going to tell you this. I speak as a fool. I'm speaking about myself now. Verse 22, 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. They might think that they are ministers of Christ, but I'm more a minister of Christ. You see, the word minister of Christ, and I want you to write this in your Bible, means humble servants of Christ. What does it mean, humble servants of Christ? Do they think that they are humble servants of Christ? I am more of a servant of Christ that way. Because they had turned this world, these apostles, this culture had turned this world of a minister and they had exalted it, they had promoted it now to be something that it wasn't. Oh, a minister, they're exalted. They have put it on a pedestal, this minister, when it really means a humble servant. We sometimes it can confuse that. Oh, that, that it's, he's a minister. That person is a minister. What a minister means, it, it's I am a humble servant of Jesus. And they were taking this title and they were promoting it. They were exalting it. And he's saying, no, I want to teach you what a real qualification of a servant is. It's not someone that walks around high and mighty with their chin up, chest out. Look at me, I'm a servant, I'm a leader, I'm a pastor. That's not what it is. It's not a celebrity. A minister is not a celebrity. A minister is a humble servant of Jesus. And he's saying, I know that I'm going to speak like a fool when I say this. But I need to let you know what a real servant looks like. I'm more of a servant than they are. <laughs> that has to be tough for someone to say. But he has to draw the line and tell them, hey, they're not real servants. They're not real ministers. I'm a real servant of the Lord. I have served Him far more. He knows that what God had done in his life and what made his preaching effective, his ministry effective, is that he was doing it God's way, not the world's way. You can try to bring in these worldly principles into the church and call it ministry. That is not ministry. I'm going to teach you that we do God's work God's way. The worst thing that we can do is try to do God's work the world's way. Right? Try to bring in all that carnal attitude, the competition, the celebrity, the popularity. He's saying you guys have put the word minister in a place where it doesn't belong. A minister means a humble servant. And notice how in verse 23, the last part, he's going to tell us how he was a humble servant. This is what a humble servant looks like. <laughs> and it says this now, In labors more abundant, I have worked harder than them. Labor means work hard to the point of exhaustion or to the point of fatigue. I am a harder worker than them. There is nothing more beautiful than when you know, when you see a servant of God that is working hard. A servant of the Lord that is willing to labor in ministry. When it comes to labors, then I am act working harder. I am more abundant. He then lists this, in stripes above measure. I received stripes. What does stripes mean? When he was whipped in stripes on his back because he was being persecuted. He was suffering for the message. And then he also uh, mentions this, in now prisons, more frequently. <laughs> he was also in prison more frequently and in deaths often. Now I want you to underline those words in your Bible because those are power words of what a humble servant looks like. It looks like a laboring, striped, prisoned, <laughs> facing death person. <laughs> now there are times in our life where we say, well man, we are really undergoing some trial right now, but when we compare our suffering to the suffering of Paul, we can say, Lord, thank you for your grace, 
because your grace is upon us. <laughs> what, did, what did Paul have to undergo? He went through labors. He went through stripes. He went through prisons. He went through deaths often as he faced death, death again and again and again. And in all of this, Paul was an illustration of someone that lived a godly life. What does this mean that he was an illustration of someone that lived a godly life? Well, in fact, when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he told Timothy this, Yes, and all those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Wow, that's, that's, that's a promise there. That is convicting there. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to face some type of opposition. You're going to face opposition in your family members. They don't stand for the same principles that maybe you stand for. You're going to maybe start to think that, you know what, they don't want to invite me no more to their gatherings because they know that I stand for this and, and they don't stand for that and I'm facing the opposition or maybe the opposition of the world, your co-workers. But let me tell you something. Jesus is better. <laughs> Jesus is better. And He promises this. This is a promise in God's Word through the Holy Spirit speaking to, through Paul. Those who desire to live a godly life are going to go through some type of suffering. They're going to go through some type of affliction. For Paul, his affliction looked like a life of labor, of stripes, of prison, and even facing death. Why? Because he was a man that was willing to pay the cost for love. Love will cost you. Here in verse 24, notice what it says now. From the Jews, now he's going to tell us and give us a history of what his persecution looked like. In verse 24, as he says this, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Now, 40 stripes was given as a form of judgment now to one that was convicted of a crime. However, 40 was the number of judgment, but because they gave grace, they took one off of the 40, leaving us 39. <laughs> And he gives us here a, a math problem. 40 minus 1, 5 times 195 stripes he faced or he was lashed with for following Jesus Christ. And he could have simply said, you know what, I deny Jesus. But he said, no, I don't deny Jesus because I choose to confess Him. And when you confess Jesus, it's going to cost you. It will cost. And now notice this. As we go here in verse now 25, three times... I was beaten with rods. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned here. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in deep waters now or in the deep. What is he telling us here? That he went through some type of suffering three times. They beat him with sticks. One, three times now or once they stoned him. The mobs came with stones and they stoned Paul as well. Three times he was shipwrecked. Just imagine going on a ship. An, an absolute accident. In fact, one of those times it said that when it, the shipwreck, he had to spend a night and a day in the deep sea. Do you notice that? Just imagine a night and day just floating out there in the remains of what that ship was. He faced disaster in ministry and he was showing them a contrast of what a real apostle or follower, a real servant of Jesus Christ is willing to go through to carry the burdens of others. And then he goes on in verse here, the next verse, in verse now 26, in journeys or in long journeys, he traveled long journeys, it says here, often in perils of waters, 
in perils of robbers now, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of gentles, uh, Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren. Now would you underline the word perils? <laughs> the word perils means dangers. He faced many dangers. He faced many dangers as he traveled many long journeys. He faced dangers from rivers. He faced dangers when people robbed him. He faced dangers from his own countrymen, from Jews and also from Gentiles. He faced dangers in the city. He faced dangers in wilderness and in the sea now. He faced dangers from those that said that were believers, but actually were not believers. And he traveled many miles, enduring many hardships for the sake of Jesus. Look at this journey, the journey of faith, that it was costing them something. In verse 27, he goes, In weariness and in toil, I've been tired, I've been working hard in toil. I'm wearisome now, I'm fatigued. I've worked hard and long, I've been through so much. Maybe today you feel like you've been through so much following the Lord. And you would say, you know what, well, if I just, the life before it was so much easier. Now that I, I, I want to follow Jesus, and then that person is not happy with me. And others, you know, don't want to be an associate with me any longer. Things have gotten difficult now. But it was a life of hardships. But it was worth it because he was following the Lord. You see his commitment here to the Lord? In verse 27, he tells in weariness and toil and sleeplessness. Often, sometimes he didn't even sleep. There was times that he was hungry and thirsty and fastings often and cold and in nakedness. Now, he went through trials where there are times where he had nowhere to sleep, nowhere to live, nowhere or a way to cover himself. It was long enduring sleepless nights where he was hungry, he was thirsty. He had gone without food and without clothing. He had gone without his essential needs. There are times today that we, we think we're going through so many trials and we have all our essential needs. Paul was a man that understood what it was like to not have those essential needs. He knew what it was like to go through trials now as he was serving the Lord. And all these dangers that he just spoke about, all the dangers that he faced simply added up to a hard, stressed, filled life for the gospel. Now when we look at this, there's nothing attractive about being a Christian. <laughs> you would say, oh, man, I have to go through all of that to follow Jesus. And this is the same guy that led many people to the Lord. Yes, he did. Because he knew what it was like to carry his cross. And what that involved, that involved denying himself. So that he can extend compassion to other people. So that he can carry the burdens of others. You will never be able to carry the burden of anyone else until you learn to deny yourself. And here he's telling them, a person that loves you will deny himself to serve you. A servant of Christ that is authentic and that is real, he's in it for one reason only, and he will do it at all costs. He will deny himself. He's never going to be a burden to you. In fact, he will carry your burdens with you and for you. And he's going to tell us here in verse 28 to 33 now, Paul's burden, besides all of these physical burdens, they were also emotional burdens. Can we look at these emotional burdens? In spite of all of the physical burdens, and maybe today you're, you're facing some physical burdens, health, your health now, your, your comfort, this anxiety maybe. 
But now also, it's an emotional burden that he was carrying now, or he was bearing, he was enduring for the church, and it was coming upon him daily. Notice this in verse 28, besides the other things, he's letting them know, he's letting them in his life. And it's difficult. Some people say, Paul shouldn't even share some of these things. He's saying, okay, fine. You want to talk about a true apostle? I'm going to let you know then everything that I've been through so you can see what it's like to be a real servant of the Lord. Because you're attractive to all the wrong things. Notice what he says here now, besides all of the other things, what comes upon me daily. Come upon means that he's carrying something. Come upon means I'm carrying a load. It's an emotional load that a servant of Christ carries. An emotional load. You're carrying the needs and the burdens of other people. And this is what he wants them to understand. I don't only carry the, I don't only go through these physical things. I'm also carrying an emotional heavy load for people. And he says this now, daily my deep, notice the word deep, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow. The emotional toil that he was going through with a deep concern for the churches that his heart and his mind was, was now carrying a load or a burden that was heavy. It wasn't a light burden. It was deep. It was a heavy burden. Now, do you want to know why that word deep comes up there? It was deep because Paul was not shallow with his relationships with people. Are you carrying anyone else's burden right now? Does anything come upon you where you are now maybe going into prayer with a heavy burden for someone else? That's a person that has compassion. That they understand that daily they're carrying this weight over them. And this is a way that he cannot escape. Alan Redpath says this, Paul was saying that, that what he was carrying was bearing down upon him. That it was an intolerable load, he describes it. Something that he could not have a vacation from or days off from. But however, the care, the compassion, and the concern of all the churches was something that he never let go of. You know, in the heart of every pastor and every leader, every servant of Christ, every parent, just notice this as a parent maybe. There is an emotional concern that you carry for your children. That no matter what, you're thinking about their welfare. And he's going to explain how he carried this deep concern. Why was it deep? Because he loved them deep. It was something that he, it was a heavy burden that, that he couldn't just put aside. It was something that was uh, now embedded in his heart and in his mind. This is what I go through emotionally for the church. Notice this in verse 29 as he says this. I must boast. And if I must, uh, verse 29 it says, Who is weak? That I am not weak. When were you ever weak? Or when did you ever go through a season that I wasn't weak either? That I didn't go through it with you. That I wasn't there to, to go through that season with you. To, to, in, in his sense, wasn't there to make himself available. Wasn't there to try to meet the need. Now, who was made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. When were any of you, he says, when were any of you weak and I did not want to go there and meet the need? When were you ever weak and I did not share that weakness with you? When was it ever in, in, in your situation where someone was stumbled or someone drifted away and it didn't bother me or I did not burn with indignation now when I carry the burdens and the loads of others? You see that the, the suffering that Paul went through wasn't only an external, but also an internal suffering. That Paul's burdens here were also emotional because he was like Christ. 
and he carried the burdens of other people, he felt the pain of others. Do you feel the pain of others? Paul is saying, when, when did you ever feel pain and I didn't feel that pain with you? That I wasn't there with you available to, me, to be able to suffer? When did I not cry with you when you were crying? When was it those times where, where someone was led astray and I, I wasn't burdened in prayer and weak and, 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 and indignation because of that, that, those requests? I always went through everything with you. I was carrying a heavy load. He tells us this in verse 30, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Now if I'm going to boast, I'm not going to boast like them. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. You see, a servant of Christ is not going to boast upon other successes. <laughs> Because they understand that success is only Christ. They're not going to try to promote themselves. In fact, he's telling us this. If I'm going to boast, this is a godly character. I'm going to boast about my hardships, about my weaknesses. And what I suffer for the gospel. Even if it seems weak in the eyes of the world. Or even if it seems weak in the eyes of those that think like the world. Oh man, look, what every, look at Paul. Look at everything he's going through. He, there's no way that he's a real apostle if he's had to go through all of this. No, absolutely not. He's saying, if I'm going to boast about something, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses because I want to give God all the glory. In fact, he's going to tell us that in the next verse. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In fact, I am held accountable to what I'm about to say here. And the Lord knows that I mean what I say. That I'm only boasting about my weaknesses. I'm not saying this to display everything, to, for you to feel pity, for me to promote myself. In fact, God knows who is worthy of eternal praise. He knows that I am not lying, that I'm giving an honest account of what I'm saying here. Why? Because your weaknesses. Because his weaknesses show that it was the power of God working in him. Therefore, through the weaknesses, through the scars that Paul bore and carried, as he was carrying this heavy load emotionally and physically, it all it demonstrated that it could not possibly be Paul. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was the power of God in Paul. It was the wisdom of God in Paul. You see what our weaknesses are used for? They're used as a backdrop, as a canvas to display the power of God. You notice that? Your weaknesses are as a testimony when they are given to the Lord and the Lord can use them to display His power. In fact, do you remember when Paul came to the Lord in Acts chapter 9? That Ananias was, was almost rejecting the commandment of the Lord to say, go and lay hands on Paul, which was called Saul of Tarsus. And what did, what did the Lord tell, tell now Ananias? He said, go because he's a chosen vessel of mine before, that he may bear my name before Gentiles and kings and all the children of Israel. And I will show Paul, I will show him how many things he might suffer for my name's sake. Now how many things he's going to have to now be promoted and, and enjoy, but how many things he's going to have to suffer? He's a chosen vessel. And Paul is saying here, I was just a vessel when I minister to people, I do not want to leave them with a the vessel. I want to leave them with the content. And with the content that that vessel is holding is Jesus Christ. You notice that. Now it says in verse 32 and 33, as he's now talking about his weaknesses, he's saying, In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of Dama uh, Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. You see, when I said to the Lord, now I was in Damascus. The whole city was guarded. I couldn't come out. <laughs> he had to stay in. But think about the most humiliating way to be able to leave as a man that had authority, that had letters, that was a, a ruler, that was 
coming to now persecute the church. In verse 33 it says, but I was let down in a basket. Man, how many of us would want to be bragging about that? Hey, guess what? I had to, I had to come out of the window and they had to put me in a basket. <laughs> and then let me down through a basket. How foolish does that sound? You're hiding. How humiliating does that sound? In a window, in the wall, and escaped now from now his hands. Now what is he telling us this? He's showing them the humility, the, the infirmity that he had to go through. Hey, there was people that were coming against me. But I wasn't discouraged. I was determined. And maybe today you feel the pressure and you're, man, you feel discouraged. Well, I want you to maybe shift your attention to be determined that in spite of all of this, in spite of the physical and also the emotional affliction, I'm going to choose to be determined to honor God. I'm not going to be stopped from doing ministry. I'm not going to be so I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be courageous. And I'm going to step into that basket. <laughs> and I'm going to be let down and I'm going to escape now. Because I'm following the Lord. And, and if ministry began with hardships and afflictions, then I will let the Lord carry me in ministry with hardships and afflictions as well. You might ask yourself, why did Paul allow all of this to go happen? Why is it that he allowed all this... Uh, pressure and hardship and, and burden and all of this. Well, I'm going to give you three principles as we end even today. Why is it that Paul was a man that was given order to this? Number one, because he learned the value of a soul. And the souls of people were important to him. Do you know the value of a soul? There are times that we value other things that are temporary that we will leave behind more than what we value when it comes to valuing a soul. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to, to make something important in our lives. We're willing to make something a priority in our lives and invest so much time, resources, and attention to something that is so temporal versus those things that are eternal, which is a soul. A soul is eternal. But what about that person, your neighbor? your coworker, your family member. How much is their soul valuable to you? Are you concerned about their souls? Paul learned the value of a soul. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I've become all things to all men that by all means I may save some. And I want to encourage you, number one, learn the value of the soul. That way you have a kingdom mindset. I want to follow the Lord. There's so many times that our heart becomes callous. And, and leading people to Jesus is no longer important. It is no longer valuable. And we become distracted with things that are not valuable. And we give them the attention. What is the value of a soul? He knew the value of a soul. But he also, number two, knew the virtue of the gospel. He knew the gospel was the most important thing that he had. It was, it was honorable now. And that's why in Romans chapter 1 verse 6, he says this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed of the gospel, church. Don't be ashamed to talk about it. Don't be ashamed to speak about it. Don't be ashamed to say, this is what I stand for. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. What else do you have that can change a man's life? And I've had the experiences, even this last week, to share the gospel, which is grown men. <laughs> and us men, we're noted for our ego and our pride. And it's so just and crazy and incredible how men that are just think that they know it all with a with a with an attitude I know they will melt at the gospel because it's the power of God into salvation 
They'll become weak when it comes to the power of the gospel. Paul is saying, the power of the gospel, this is the message that I have. It's the only message that works. Maybe you're trying something else. This is the only thing that works in humans' life. It lifts men up from the depravity of their sin. And it, and it sits them in heavenly places now. It's the only message that is adequate. It's the only message that is appropriate. It's the only message that's, that's fit for the occasion. And I'm proud of it now. And I don't apologize for it. Stop apologizing for the gospel, church. Be proud about the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that's adequate. It's the only thing that's appropriate. And it's the only thing that's going to have a meaningful, lasting effect in the life of those people that you love. He knew the value of the soul. He knew the virtue of the gospel. And number three to finish, he knew the victory of love. What does this mean, he knew the victory of love? It was the love of God that kept him through every situation, every strife every beating, every stoning, every hardship, every trial, every tribulation. It was the victory of love now. In fact, he says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of God constrains me. I want to ask you, what constrains you? What gets you up in the morning? What gets you up in the morning? Paul was saying, the love of God inspires me. The love of God enslaves me. The love of God has me motivated. The love of God has abound me. It's the love of God that constrains me. I just can't believe when I think about His love. His love motivates me. His love leads me. You see, He knew the virtue, the, He knew the value of a soul, the virtue of the gospel, and the victory of love. I'm going to ask you today, what are you being motivated and led by? Because it is the Lord that wants to lead you, that wants to guide you. Would you pray with me today that God would give us strength to follow Him and to put our emphasis and our focus on the right places, to have a mindset for heavenly things and not waste time. What is the value of a soul to you? What is the virtue of the gospel to you? And are you overcome by the victory of love where you are bound by it? I'm bound by this. Maybe today you're bound by the wrong thing. I pray that you would be bound by the love of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, and we ask right now, Lord, that we would be bound by you and you alone. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would, Lord, give us, Lord, an eye to see, Lord, what is the value of a soul. You give eyes to see, Lord, what is the virtue of the gospel, that we would not be ashamed of it. But also, Lord, that you would let us understand that we would, Lord, be overcome by the victory of your love. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray this all. In Jesus' name. And together we say, amen.